Good morning. You can have a seat. Yep. <clears throat> My name is Jordan, and I'm the local pastor in NDG. The story, the story that Bailey just read, whether you believe it or not, has changed our world, your world, for the better. Think about it. A one baby born in an animal trough among an oppressed people from a no-name town who never married, had barely an education, and hardly traveled. And here we're celebrating him today. He changed our world, your world, for the better. Now that's crazy. That would be extraordinary. That would be worth celebrating. And that's what we're doing today. But you wonder, how did Christianity, how did Christmas change the world? What is this change that I'm talking about that Christmas brings? Well, let's get into it. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1 and verse 16, from where Bailey started reading, was at the end of a list. A list of what? It was a list of, yes, names. And these names are part of the ancestry that is uh, the genealogy that, of Jesus. So there's like the parents, kids, and then the great-grandparents, and the great-grandparents, and so on, and so on, and so on. And I, I know some of the names of my great-grandparents. Do you know the names of your great-grandparents? Probably not all of them, right? Matthew worked really hard to figure out the names of Jesus' parents and great-grandparents, and so on, and so on, and so on. Well, why? Why does he go to all this work? Why does he start the story of Jesus with this list? Well, partly it's because, and this is one of the things we've been trying to bring out in our sermon series, The Naughty List, this whole time, is that he's, he's countercultural. That Jesus' ancestry goes against what we typically expect from the time, right? That it's not just the typical men, it's men and women, right? Jew and non-Jew. People who are considered saints and people who were considered sinners. See, why is Matthew doing this? This list is countercultural. In other words, it's a prophetic indication. Jesus' very ancestry is a prophetic indication of the kind of people that he's come for. And see, this changes things for you and me. This is a prophetic indication of the kind of people to come for. In other words, he blows our categories. It's not just about male or female. It's not about gender, ethnicity, religion, you name it. Jesus blows those categories. Jesus came for everyone. Jesus, in other words, didn't just come for the person sitting next to you. He came for you. And this changes how we think about Christmas, doesn't it? Christmas changes how we interact with this. It's not just in the abstract. This story is for you. Jesus came for you. Verse 18. How so? Well, the birth, it says, of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, that means engaged, to Joseph, they came together. Before they came together, she was found to be with child, which is a very nice way of putting it. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, okay? This is saying that Joseph has discovered that Mary is pregnant while they're still engaged, okay? From Luke, which tells the 
other, Mary's perspective of this account, we know that Mary had been off for several months visiting her cousin Elizabeth. And now in those days, it wouldn't have been the sort of thing where you're like texting all the time and like, hey, how's it going, babe? Can't wait, you know, like busing to see each other in the weekends, like forget all of that. They would have been apart for probably months at a time. And so here's Joseph probably working with his dad in the carpenter shop. And it's been months since he's seen Mary. And then he hears through the grapevine, she's having a baby. It's like, oh man, that's a problem. That's a big problem. See, we get that. We're like, we get very easily, man, that w- Joseph would have been carrying a lot of shame. It's like, oh, he would have known for sure. That's not my baby. What are you to do with that? He would have been carrying shame. But back then, it wouldn't have just been a shame problem. It would have also been a law problem. Okay, betrothals, engagements, were a legal arrangement between families. They're like, get together, make this like contract. This is going to be, it's going to be this way, that way. Here's some goat, whatever. And in the case of cheating, Boom, you cut, it's over. And even on top of that, the law stipulated certain cases, death to the cheater. In this case, Mary. This really ups the ante, right? What is Joseph supposed to do? Serious situation, verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, that is, he wants to do the right thing. He knows what the law says. He knows he has to end the engagement. That's what he decides to do. But does he report her for trial? The text doesn't say anything about that. We don't really know what's going on there. But my guess is that Joseph knew Mary well enough. He knew this is, this is like not the Mary I know. There is something mysterious going on here. And so it says, Joseph, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. This is an indication, you could say, of Joseph's character. And then in verse 20, he's, he's in the confusion and the darkness of these things. And it says, as he considered these things, he pondered them intensely. Okay, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Like, oh, man, an angel appeared? I mean, this is, this is saying what this is saying, well, among other things, Christmas really changes our view of reality, doesn't it? It changes our view of the world. changes our view of what's possible, that the universe is not a closed system. Right? There's more to it than the sum of our experiences and what we expect. There is a God who has intervened in history that can speak in dreams and plant a baby in a womb. We're like, that's impossible! That's impossible, right? Well, is it? Why is it impossible? Is it impossible because you say so? Is it impossible because you've never observed it? The science has never observed it? But isn't that the point of a miracle? This miracle is something that you do not frequently observe. Otherwise, there'd be like nothing to write home about, right? Otherwise, there'd be no point in preserving that account for thousands of years. It's impossible just because you didn't observe it. Here's how C.S. Lewis, he's a guy who would have thought this was virgin births, were absolutely ridiculous for most of his life, most of his adult life, until much later. He encountered God. Here's how he thought about it after his encounter with God. He says, Think about it. Imagine God is like the author of a play. That God is a playwright. 
And that our world, our universe, is that play. What is to limit himself, God, who has authored this play, from writing himself into the play as one of the characters in it? Nothing, right? Kids, you get this, right? Right? Some of us adults, as we age, we sort of like, we like lose our creative juices. And so the idea of like being able to imagine other states or worlds in which you are yourself in that place, it's not that far out on you. Kids, you get this. But for the rest of us adults, let me, if you're here and you're struggling with like the seeming impossibility of this event, let me remind you that this is not your story to tell. Okay, this is not your story to imagine. Okay, this is God's story and you were born into it. Okay, and God can choose to write himself into this story as one of the characters within it. Okay, and so he did. See, this changes our view of reality. This blows the realm of possibility. The universe is not this closed system. Behind it is a personal God who has intervened in history and orders history. Christmas changes our view of the world. And God has ordered history. Look at how the angel greets Joseph in this text. Does he say, like, the very first verse of our reading was at the end of that list, that Jacob, the father of Joseph. So when the angel greets Joseph, does he say, hey, Joseph, son of Jacob? No. What does he say? The angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, not Jacob. Why? God has ordered history. He wants to call him back. He wants to call him back generations previously. A prophecy had been made that one like David would come. David had been a king. And a prophecy had been made that one like David would come. An anointed one, the Christ. The one on whom the Spirit of the Lord would rest and bring a final deliverance to his people. And yet, what had happened with that? That prophecy had seemed to have sort of fizzled, right? Sort of died out, gone dark. The line of kings, we know this documented well from history. The line of kings from David had gone from bad to worse, right? Gone worse with time, and eventually they were hauled off into captivity, captivity and it seemed sort of like the lights had gone out. Right? The prophecies had all but ended. And yet here, what do we have? We have this angel appearing to Joseph, saying, like, light has come. It hasn't gone dark. This thing hasn't fizzled. Hope is here. God has intervened in history, and he is now renewing that king, kingly line that you thought was lost. Jesus is the Christ, the son of David. Amazing. You imagine what this would have meant for Joseph, that Jesus is the Christ? Jesus is the Christ, and Joseph being this dad who gets to raise him, this would have meant for Joseph that his whole life up until this point was purposed by God. His whole lineage, if you think about it, all the ordering of history had brought him up to that right, that very moment. All the confusion and the darkness of the situation, the engagement, what's going to happen, death, what? For that moment, God had purposed his story. It wasn't just happenstance, and there was hope. And just as Jesus is the Christ meant that God had purposed Joseph's story, so does Jesus being the Christ mean that God has purposed your 
story. It is not a chance that you are here today. God has ordered the times in the places of all people that they might seek him and find him and he might encounter them in that place. This is a place of encounter. God wants to encounter you in this place. And Christmas reminds us that the world is not as it seems. It changes our view of the reality. It changes what is possible. And it becomes this profound injection of meaning and purpose into the world. In fact, it's a declaration of it. You matter to God. You are here with intention. It is not by chance. And it also, if you're here today and you're feeling like your reality is hopeless, that light has fizzled in your life and you can't see beyond your current circumstances, know that there is always hope. Jesus is the Christ. He has purposed our lives and he has brought hope. These are things that this Christmas story changes about our world. It changes how we view our lives. It changes how we view hope. It changes also our values. It turns the values of this world upside down. Think about it. Joseph, who was he? This is a good question. Joseph was like an average guy. An ordinary carpenter from a no-name town doing an average stuff without a lot of money. Like, And yet what? God used Joseph. God used him. God uses the weak and the poor and the neglected and unknown things of this world, the forgotten people of the world, to do the extraordinary things. To shame the rich and the famous and the powerful. God accomplishes his purposes. Right? God turns our value system upside down. In the story of Christmas, Christmas changes our view of the world. And if you're here and you're thinking, well, that's, that's good. That's a good value. Those are good values. That's, the world is better that way. Well, let me tell you, the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans, the ancient you name your civilization did not think that was the case. They would say pathetic. Christmas changed our world for the better. It did. And kids, let me say this to you. You're raised in a world that tells you that the ordering of your life, what's going to make your life meaningful and satisfactory is that you become the most famous person or the most rich person or the person who's over the most things and all of your your meet, your YouTuber influencers and your teachers, so much of you is pointing you in that direction, saying that's what's going to make you happy. That's what the good life is all about. But let me remind you that that's a false narrative. Live your life in this upside-down view of the world in which it's the ordinary things, the weak things, the impoverished things, and the forgotten people that matter the most to God. Seek first God in his kingdom, and everything else will be added unto you. That's what a life looks like, live for God. Commit yourself, even at a young age, to live for Him in that way. A life of generosity and simplicity. Of compassion for the poor and love for your neighbor. That's what it's about. And some of us adults, we're going to say that with our lips, and then with our lives, we're going to showcase something completely different. You're going to have to set that aside and focus on seeking first Jesus in his kingdom and these upside-down values. 
But our world has changed for the better because of Christmas. Okay, let's keep going. So the angel said to Mary, do not fear to take her as your wife. This is the angel reassuring Joseph. Nobody, she's not cheated on you. She hasn't been wrong. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God has placed that baby in the womb. And in verse 21, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So the name's got meaning in it. My name is Jordan, which means down from Dan. There's a river in Israel which descends, flows down from a region called Dan. I also found out later in life, my, made this connection, my dad's name is Dan. So I'm like literally a descendant of Dan. Okay, great. Name has meaning. Nice. Jesus' name means, in Hebrew, is Yeshua. Right? Yahweh saves. God saves. The very meaning of his name is showcasing, it's declaring what he has come to do. That God saves. And he saves us from what? He has come to save his people from their sins. Or like our sins. Is that really, is it that big of a deal? Is our moral failure that big of a deal for God that he's going to have to like write himself into our story? Like, isn't the problem, you know, totalitarian despots like Putin or, uh, you know, what we call the climate crisis and those sorts of problems? Aren't those the issue we need to deal with? You know, I had a, a, a friend of mine who once said he got, I got, a, Jordan, I got a really good deal on this little apartment near downtown Toronto. I was so happy for him. It's really hard, you know? got a great deal on an apartment near downtown Toronto. And then he told me, later, you know, I came home in... The ceiling was leaking, <laughs> so I had to put out all these pots, and I called the landlord. And when the landlord came, he came, he looked around, he looked at the ceiling, he looked at the pots, and he said, you fixed it. <laughs> you know, I think for most of us, that's how we think about the sin in our lives. We're putting out the pots of our better communication and our better habits, thinking it's going to solve the problem, right? but it hasn't really gotten to the root of the issue at all. Sin is a big deal. Sin is a big problem. It's our most basic problem. And it's the problem that underlies all of the other problems. Because if you think about it, what would, what would the climate uh, crisis so-called be without greed and consumerism? What would totalitarian despots be without power and deception? If you could fix that, what would those be? Jesus has come to save his people from their sins, our most basic and biggest problem. Sin is a big deal. This is why Jesus has come, because we need rescue. Jesus is our Savior, because we need rescue. We need forgiveness. Okay? Even if you're one of those people who think you have your life pretty well put together. Yeah, my life pretty well put together. Well, you know what? Joseph the Just, because he's described as just in the text. Joseph, even Joseph the Just, needed Jesus to rescue him. You thought about that? See, here's what's, what's going on in this story. Like, we won't have time for it. Verse 24, 25, Joseph, he follows through on what this angel has told him to do. He's obedient, and he takes his wife, Right? But his wife, was she guilty? No. But was she thought of as guilty? Yes. 
And so what is Joseph, by taking his wife, doing? He's, he's willingly, he could have avoided this situation, right? The law had a stipulation, but he actually willingly, by taking his wife Mary, enters into the false shame and guilt that was attributed to her and takes it on himself. And see, Joseph, the father of Jesus, begins to foreshadow what Jesus, the son that he raised, had come to do. That Jesus takes on himself the guilt that wasn't deserved to him. He takes it on himself and absorbs it into himself so that we might become free. Joseph needed rescue. Even Joseph, the just. I needed rescue. I needed forgiveness for my sin and my shame and my guilt. And you do too. Jesus is our Savior who can redeem, as we saw, the story of Joseph. And Jesus is the Savior who can redeem your story too. Jesus is here to change and redeem your story. And this is not in the abstract. This is for you and me. Let's keep going. Verse 22, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And this is an ancient prophetic word that had been fulfilled in its time by a young maiden. Matthew is now dredging it up again and saying, hey, this same thing, this same pattern is going to happen again, yet in a much greater and fuller way that You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what Jesus has come to be. God with us. This is amazing. This is is mystery beyond all mysteries. God with us. Jesus wasn't just any old baby in a manger. Jesus was God taking on flesh. God in flesh. God incarnate amongst us. Oh my goodness. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Christmas doesn't then just change our view of the world. It doesn't just change our view of ourselves that we need rescue. Christmas changes our view of God. What does it mean for God to be with us? For God to be with us means that that God cares. Kids, sometimes my kids are fighting and they're squabbling and I'm on the couch and, you know, maybe I'm drinking my tea or I'm reading my book, and I hear, I'm like, oh, be quiet, <laughs> stop fighting, or be kind or whatever. And it, it works every time. No, it doesn't. Okay, I'm sure parents, you've never done that like me. But know this. Thankfully, God is not a father like that. God, what Christmas tells us is that God is the kind of father who gets off of his couch, okay, and comes and inserts and writes himself into our world and gets involved in our mess. Yes, to rescue us from sin, but also to be with us in our suffering. That's the kind of God we worship. That's the kind of God that's come down at Christmas. He cares about you. He cares about me. He meets us in our mess. God is a God who cares, and he comforts us in our affliction. This means you're never alone. That being rescued by Jesus means his spirit can come in, and you are never 
alone. His spirit is there with you. He's with you till the end of the age, Jesus says. It also means when you don't know what to do in a situation, the spirit of God can give you wisdom and discernment. When you need teaching, that the spirit of God can speak through his word. Right? When you need companionship, that he can meet you in that place. There's so many ways that God with us indicates that God cares. And he's with us and he's involved. And it also shows that God with us, that he works through us. Right? Think about Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary are these, these parents. Right? Ordinary people. Impoverished, whatever people. God is called to do what? Think, think about, it's, we're talking about God, right? God who, who, who made the universe, who, who set it up and puts us within it and protects and provides for us, willingly writes himself into the story in such a way that now he as a baby needs to be protected and provided for by these parents. Can you imagine the sense of inadequacy they would have felt? We can't do this. How do we do this? We're going to mess them up. Parents. You've probably felt this before. We're going to mess little Johnny. We're going to mess Jeremiah up or whatever. Man, if God has called you to something, and this isn't then just for parents, whatever it is that God has called you to, if God has called you to something, he will give you the energy in order to do it when you feel like you can't do it. He will give you the wisdom to do it when you feel like you have nothing left to make that decision. He will give you the capacity to do it. And if he's called you to do it, you know that he's going to see it through to completion. Because his word is true and faithful and good. And even if you sense yourself to be inadequate, man, this story shows you, God with us shows us that he will make it possible. Okay, he meets us in our inadequacy, just like he met Joseph and Mary in their inadequacy. God doesn't make you uh, mistakes. You can rest in that. The other part of this that I think it shows, that God with us shows he works through us, is think about this, the, this, the scandal of this, right? This is what I've been fleshing out, the shame and the guilt and the darkness of this situation. Man, for Joseph and Mary, right, the confusion of it, God with us means there's... It's not just about that. That obedience to Jesus, yes, it means hardship. Yes, Joseph and Mary would have felt the darkness and the difficulty and the confusion of that situation. But God with us also means great joy. That when we follow him in obedience, he brings great joy. Think about Mary in this. She doesn't go on talking about this is such a confusing and difficult situation. No, what does she say? My soul does magnify the Lord. That means make big. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Man, if God has called you to something, when you're obedient to it, it doesn't just entail hardship. Yes, it will. He'll be with you in that. But it also entails great joy. God is with you in your situations. God works through you. And God cares. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is with you in your story. And you might be here. These are the changes that Christmas brings. He changes how we view the world, ourselves. He changes how we view God. And you might be like, you know what? I'm not sure about this. You know, I'm not sure about all these claims, God coming into the world and changing it like this for the better. And let me say this to you. That's okay. 
Okay, but what I would invite you to do is we've just unpacked a couple of verses in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Why not read the whole thing? It's Christmas. You have time. It would take, there's some Bibles over there on a table. Grab one as you go, and it'll take about the amount of time it would take to watch two TV shows. Okay, you can do it. And I guarantee you will not be disappointed. You will see how much our society has been shaped and formed by this book. Okay, if anything. But pray as you do it that God would encounter you in those pages. So here's what you can do if you're not sure about this. But for those of you who are, those of you who are here, you're a Christian, let me say this, you know, as we come to an end. This whole series in Matthew, we've been, you know, unpacking this list of names. This name and this name and this name. And you know, there's another list of names that's mentioned in the Bible. It's in Revelation 20:15. Some of you might know about this. Right? Your names are written in the book of life. Right? If you're a Christian, your names are written in the book of life. You know, and I've always thought about that list of names in Revelation as a sort of heavenly roll call, a sort of celestial census or list, right? But I had a friend point this out to me recently, right? That 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 book of life that's no mere list of names. Any more than this is no mere list of names, right? This whole series we've been trying to unpack and retell the stories of the names on this list to show that each name on this list is a story that was purposed by God. Each name on this list is a story of somebody who had the opportunity of redemption by God, right? That God was able to meet them in those places. And in that same way, the book of life is no mere list of names, Right? Each name in the book of life is a story that has been redeemed and purposed by God. In other words, your life matters. You might be here and wondering, does my life matter? Is there any purpose for my story? Does God know me where I'm at? Am I forgotten and so on? No. You are remembered by God. Your story is known by God and it can be redeemed by God so that God is with you in your story. This is what is true. Jesus is the Christ. He has purposed your story. Jesus is our Savior. He can redeem your story. And Jesus is Emmanuel. He can be with you in your story. Now this is something we're celebrating, isn't it? This is something worth celebrating. He is worth celebrating. Let's celebrate him now. I'm going to invite the musicians up as we end with the words of a carol, and then I'll pray. This Christmas carol sums up how Jesus is our, all of these things uh, so well, okay? O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. And some of you here might need to, to pray that, that God would be born in you today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Lord, I just want to pray if there's anybody here who feels like they're not the kind of person that you came for, that their story doesn't matter and wasn't purposed by God. Father, I pray that you'd meet them here in this place. I pray, Father, that even as they turn to you and say, Jesus, rescue me, my sins are a big deal, that you would meet them. You would rescue their story. In Jesus' name, come Spirit.
be God among us, Emmanuel. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord of heaven and earth, who has entered into our space and time. You've written yourself into this story, and now we give you back all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.